Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hey, I'm Shauna Compton-Game. This is Millennial Money, and today we're tackling another listener question. Help I cannot use my student loan deduction. Millennial Money with Shauna Compton Game. It will expand your brain. All right, so we've got a doozy of a listener question here, and I thought, you know, let's just take this one question and answer it on this podcast because there are so many different things I can talk about um, about this question. All right, so let's dive in. So this question is from Allison and Matthew, and Allison says, I'm hoping you're able to recommend other ways to help people in different situations save money. People assume if you make over 100000 a year that you don't have any money issues, In reality, we have the same money troubles as those with smaller incomes, just on a larger scale. We may have six-figure salaries, but we also have six-figure student loan debts, and we don't qualify for the same breaks as those with lower salaries. For example, we can't write off any of the $19,000 in interest we paid in one year from the student loans on our taxes because we, quote, make too much money. 
While we do well for ourselves, a considerable amount of our salaries go towards student loans and ultimately high interest rates. We do not live a lavish lifestyle, sorry about that. Both of us drive 10-year-old cars, we are in our late 20s and early 30s, and we just want to be able to live without worry. Can you offer any other ways that maybe we could write off our student loan interest or a way to try and lower our loans from 7% to anything lower? We appreciate your help. This is such a great question, Allison, and I just thank you so much for sending it in because I think in in what you're asking, again, there are like so many different ways I can kind of attack this question, but I think you make a really good point is, you know, a lot of times we think that when we start like rolling in the money, you know, like we're married and we're each making a hundred thousand plus that like life is just pretty and the birds are out singing and everything is fantastic. And in reality, what you point out in your question is that's not always the case. I mean, a lot of times when you have a larger income, you have a larger um, responsibility. So there's a lot more debts that are normally attached to that, or you just increase your lifestyle, right? So you're living a higher, more expensive lifestyle than you were maybe when you made, I don't know, $50,000 each. So it, it's just kind of human nature. It's it's how we tend to do things. It's it's another reason why, you know, I talk so much about like money mindset and things like that because they really are such a big part of your financial future and kind of how you think, act, and feel uh, about or with money, if that makes sense. So I think you raise like a great point there, Allison, which is that you know it's really easy to think that when you hit certain income levels, like everything is going to be solved for you. You're going to be ready to get rid of all your debt. You're going to be able to, you know, achieve all your financial goals. And it's just not always the case. I mean, it's just, it's just not easy. And I think the thing again about money is like, we don't talk about it. Like this isn't a dinnertime conversation. We don't, you know, go out to happy hour with our friends and sit around the table and be like, man, I went over budget this month, like a doozy or man, we had to put $5,000 on our credit card and we can't pay it off or we've got $100,000 in student loan debt and I really shouldn't be out here eating happy hour with you guys but I got to live I mean you know it's just it's just not even the successes right we don't sit around and be like you know what I just paid off a massive amount of debt that I racked up when I was you know XYZ or you know what we just don't do it we don't do it and so I think that we get in this habit of assuming that uh, that everyone is better than us, that everyone's in a better position than us, right? Especially with social media. I mean, I, I, how easy is it to like go on Instagram or go on Facebook and, you know, sort of be envious of somebody else's situation? I know I fall in that habit all the time and it's like, I, I know better than that, but it's just it's like everything's in our face, you know? And so it's really easy when we have like the subject that we don't talk about to, to think that, you know, everybody else is just like sort of breezing through life. And the reality check is just, that's not the case. So thank you so much, Allison, for your honesty and for, you know, pointing that out. So this whole notion really of, of taxes and, you know, what happens when you, when you make more money, it really is kind of the number one request I get from clients and, and people that I meet and talks that I give. You know, everybody wants to understand this subject better. And while I'm not a CPA or an accountant, um, you know, there are a few tips that I want to talk about to consider. And always remember, look, 
when we're talking about anything financial, anything taxes, I mean, any anything on this podcast, you know, always remember to dial in your own situation. Hire a, a CPA, hire a CFP like myself. You know, on this podcast, I just, I give you opinions and ideas and bring concepts to you, but it doesn't mean that every idea or every concept or every thought is uh, appropriate for your situation. You got to really figure out, you know, what works best for your individual situation. And that's why talking about money is so hard because there aren't always black and white answers. You know, it's not like we'll do this and then X is going to happen. And, you know, it just doesn't work that way. And it's different for everybody's situation. So you really have to figure out what's best for you and not take anything as, you know, kind of like Bible truth, right? Because, Again, what works for your friend may not work for you. And even though if you even if you have very, very similar kind of like financial profiles, it still doesn't mean that it's gonna be the right fit for you. And so, you know, I think sometimes we get in the habit of like reading articles or or things like that, and we're like, okay, this is exactly what we should do when you have to filter it through your own situation. So that's just my little disclaimer. So before we dive into, um, you know, some, some meat here, let's review what the student loan deduction is. So you can claim a student loan interest deduction and in essence, lower how much um, income the government is going to tax. And the student loan deduction is um, up to $2,500. However, there are some income restrictions with the deduction. So you can claim the full $2,500 uh, deduction if your modified adjusted gross income is $65,000 or less. So the deduction is gradually reduced uh, as your income gets larger. Now, the income limits on uh, married filing jointly is obviously higher, around $160,000. And then you cannot claim the deduction if you are married filed separately or if someone else claims an exemption for you on a tax return, right? So just a little kind of review. Uh, and then student loan refinancing, we've talked a lot about it on this podcast. We've interviewed a lot of a lot of people. You know, refinancing can be a good idea, but again, it's not a one size fits all. And I think, you know, that's what Allison is pointing out is she's gone out to the market and looked at refinancing options. And the problem is, is, you know, she'd have to pay up all her student loans in a 20 year period, which would in essence for, for Allison make that payment you know, too steep for their budget. There are, you know, when we're talking federal loan side, so there are a couple options that that are longer than a 20-year repayment period. The standard uh, repayment consolidation period is up to 30 years if you consolidate your loans, or the extended repayment option is up to 25 years. And obviously, the longer that you lengthen the term of paying back your student loans, the more interest you're going to actually occur because it's over a much longer period of time, right? And that's what makes, you know, shortening that time period more expensive. So most private refinancing is really in increments between five and 20 years. There aren't any right now on the market. And I just, you know, rechecked after Allison's question to make sure that I was, you know, super accurate on this. I did not find any student loan refinancing private options that were longer than 20 years. If somebody out there knows of anything, you know, please let me know. So again, if you refinance to a shorter term, right? So if you go down to like a five or 10 year with the private lenders, you are going to get a lower interest rate and save more over the life of the loan. 
But, you know, the question is, how much more are you going to save with refinancing? And I think that's really the trick to figure out when you're thinking about refinancing is, am I actually going to save money? And if the answer is yes, how much money am I actually going to save? And remember, I would be super nervous right now um, about getting any kind of loan rates that are variable interest. That means it, it, it fluctuates, right? And, you know, we are still in one of the lowest uh, interest rate time periods, historically speaking. And so that means that things can only go up. And that that really scares me, especially when we're talking about student loans. And, you know, some of you listening have hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans. You know, you raise the interest rate up by a percent or two and, you know, could really make, a, it could be disastrous to your budget. So always understand what you have and understand what the implications of what you have. I'm having a tough time saying big words today. (laughs) Must be because it's Monday and it's a holiday, right? Uh, My brain just doesn't want to think today. Um, And then also, here's something to know. On private student loan refinancing, they're actually based a lot of times on the 10-year treasury rate. And that rate has almost doubled since July of last year. Right now, the 10-year treasury rate is around 2.1 or 2.41%, sorry, in February. And, you know, lenders have already seen some increase uh, to their rates as a result of what they refer to as the Trump effect on the 10-year treasury, right? So many lenders, again, they use this 10-year treasury to determine the fixed rate for the 10, 15, and 20-year private student loans, um, which includes those for refinancing. So, you know, if you're thinking about refinancing, a lot of experts say that, you know, you should try to lock down your interest rate, your lower interest rate now, since some banks, you know, really expect the yields on the treasury to go up in 2017, to go higher than they are right now. Who knows? Again, nobody has a crystal ball. We don't know what this Trump effect. I mean, we're still, you know, even though sometimes it feels like we've been um, had this president for a really long time. And and that is not a political statement at all. I'm just saying, you know, there's a lot of news. There's a lot of talk about it. Um, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen long-term. So a lot of experts are really nervous about that and, and kind of think, you know, that you should really watch out, you know, have you have your eye on the 10 year treasury. And if it starts ticking up and you want to get in refinancing, you know, in order to secure the lowest rates, get in as quick as you can. All right, so it comes back to this question that Allison asked. So if your income is too high to deduct student loan interest, what do you do? And it's really a catch-22 with higher uh, incomes, right? Because on one hand, you're super excited that you're making a lot more money. And on the other hand, you know, you're potentially missing out on a lot of tax deductions. And maybe you have to start, you know, paying at tax time. And that's something that a lot of W-2 earners aren't used to doing. I mean, you're used to getting some sort of refund, something back, right? And intuitively, psychologically in our brains, like we think like, oh my gosh, if we don't get something back, um, you know, we're, it's, it's, not a good, it's not a good deal for us. Um, in essence, I always try and tell people, you know what, the, the kind of like great scenario is if 
Um, you actually don't get anything back at tax time because that means you've been able to use your tax dollars throughout the year versus, you know, getting a big refund. That just means that the IRS has held on to your money. The government has held on to your money for, you know, potentially that, that whole entire year they've invested and probably made money on your money. And then here comes, you know, money back to you. So I always prefer to have as much money as I can during the year. And so I've trained myself that sort of the optimal place. I mean, this is like two when you're thinking about your budget, you know? of how you want everything to come out at zero at the end of the month. And when we're talking about budget, what that just means is you've used every dollar that you have towards something, either towards paying your expenses or paying down debt or going towards your goals or saving or whatever it may be. So you're not losing any money, right? The goal is not to have like $1,000 left at the end of the month and then, you know, roll into the next month and have another $1,000 unless you're saving for your emergency fund or something like that. The idea is to take that $1,000 and let's give it a job. Let's give it something to do, right? Let's give it a purpose. Okay, I get off that soapbox now. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about some strategies. You know, you, you've got you got basically two options here. Either your tactic is then if you cannot get the student loan deduction and you're in a higher income, how can you rework your budget so that you can pay off these student loans ASAP? Right. And I know for a lot of people that have a lot of student loan interest, I mean, that is a daunting proposition because it's going to take a while and you're going to have to hang in there. The other only other option is, you know, how can you work with, you know, your CPA or your accountant to lower your taxable income? Because it's really it's one or the other that we're going to. So if we're talking about lowering our taxable income, there's a couple of things we can think about. One obviously is boosting our retirement savings in our 401k because whatever we put in our 401k is lowering our taxable income. So that's a great tip. So if you, you know, aren't putting away the max in your 401k that you can, you know, maybe look to doing that. And that in essence then is going to do two things. It's going to lower your taxable income and it's going to increase your 401k and your lifestyle fund, you know, all those great choices and great things you want to do down the line. So that's kind of number one place to look to lower your taxable income. Another idea is to fund an IRA. And, you know, if you don't have a retirement plan at work um, or you want to augment your savings, you can put money in IRA. Uh, You can contribute up till tax time for the previous tax year, right? So you could contribute up to $5,500 for the 2016 tax year by April 15th. But depending on your income and whether you participate in a plan at work, you may or may not be able to deduct all of your IRA contributions. So again, that's why you want to work with an accountant or a CPA to to really dial that in. Another idea is those flex spending accounts at work. A lot of people have those kind of healthcare savings accounts. And you can be really aggressive if your employer offers one of these kind of medical reimbursement accounts. You're going to want to make sure that you check uh, the guidelines of your particular account, right? Because there are a lot of accounts at at work where if you don't use the money that's in it at the end of the year, you lose that money. And so I certainly don't want that to happen to you. But, you know, a, a medical reimbursement plan will let you put some of your salary into this account that then you can use to pay medical bills. And the advantage really is that you avoid both income and social security tax on that money. And, you know, it could save you, I don't know, 20 to 35% or more uh, compared with spending, you know, paying those medical bills with after-tax money. So that's something to think about. 
Another thing is is real estate, right? And I know buying is not an option for everyone. There, are, you know, you've got to have a healthy down payment. Although now there are a lot of ways that you can uh, buy a house without a huge down payment, right? So you'd want to work with a mortgage broker for that and figure out what works best for your situation. There's also credit score. You know, you got to have a good credit score. And then, you know, how long do you want to stay in a particular location? If you only want to stay where you're at a couple years, well, buying something may or may not be the best strategy. So there's lots to think about when we think about real estate. But again, it's another way of lowering your your taxable income, in essence, because a portion of your loan that you're going to pay is interest. And when you're early on in the loan, a large portion of that is interest, which you can deduct at tax time. And this could then potentially put you in a lower tax bracket and you could gain some equity. So it's something to think about. Again, it may be a, a you know a longer term solution for someone, but if we're looking at strategies to reduce taxable income or to reduce um, the taxes that we owe, that's certainly one thing to think about. Um, you know, there's lots of other tips. You know, if you have a um, if you have assets in a taxable account, so not a retirement account like an IRA and a four hundred one k, but in a taxable investment account. You know, when you have you have losses or you even have gains, you can offset gains with with losses in a particular tax year, and those sorts of things might help you know lower your taxable income. So there are a lot of of different tricks. Not all of them are going to fit for every situation. In fact, probably a lot of them aren't going to fit for a particular situation. And so again, that's really important why you should work with a a certified financial planner, a CPA, a mortgage broker, all of these people to really help, you know, dial in for your situation what works best. But you know, Allison, I really wish that like I could give you kind of the like magic solution for a lender out there that is doing private loan refinancing, offering great interest rates that is a longer term than 20 years. I think that what a lot of the private lenders have figured out is that, you know, longer than 20 years may not be um, a good economic decision, good business decision for them. And, you know, since most people are used to kind of that 10 to 20 year payoff model, it seems to be um, more palatable for you. But I know that when you're dealing with a lot of student loan, uh, student loans that you're trying to just get these things paid off or position them in the best way possible, the options aren't great. Um, and so, you know, I really, again, wish I could like, I could give you like the magical answer to this one, but there, there just isn't one. And it, that again is really the catch 22 when you, when you make more money. Um, I would say, you know, the best advice really is to try. And even though you said you don't live lavishly at all, I think that's great. You know, um, you know, try to find any ways that you can to carve out any extra savings that you can really put towards these student loans. And, you know, even, I mean, the power of even like an extra $100 a month on student loans or any loan for that matter can be significant. I mean, it can wipe away potentially years that you're paying uh, on the student loans. There's a ton of great calculators online that you can go and kind of, you know, fiddle around and find out, you know, what might be that optimal dollar amount for you to pay off. But again, it doesn't normally take a lot of extra money for you to see a dramatic a dramatic decrease in your student loans in the overall time period that you're paying. So 
Again, this is just kind of opening the conversation on this topic. There's so many different ways. Again, I could probably talk for hours about all of this, but I want to just give you a little bit sort of primer about student loan deduction and talk about different ways for you to think about. Maybe they even just sort of unlock something in you. Maybe you um, overlooked something, um, or maybe you can just set up things a little bit better You know, for 2017 to help position you in potentially a lower tax bracket. All right. Thanks again so much for the question, Allison. I think this is a great one. Um, if you have questions like Allison, please, please, please feel free to send them in to me. You can go on the website, shaunagame.com, go to the contact section and you can send me your question and I'll either answer it on the podcast or I'll send you a note directly to you or both depending on the question. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at shaunagame, Instagram at millennial underscore money. There we go. Like I said, it's a holiday. I'm like messing up all my words. So I hope you've enjoyed this President's Day holiday and um, I hope you had some time to relax. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times, but your mind is on the future, too, and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services, and insurance, so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit sandyspringbank.com wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value.